This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Hi folks, this is Donna Fisk and you're listening to The Sporting Record. What a way to listen to footy on 3CR. Sink coach, we're ready to play even though it's 3.30 on Thursday afternoon. We're in half an hour early because uh, Dinosaur Prize Surprise are taking a little four-week break. Yes, they are. So we thought we'd jump in early and give ourselves a whole hour over summer. And giving you a full hour of staying sporty. Like, how good? Yeah, I know. <laughs> this, is, it, this is the sporting record here on 855 AM 3CR. And what were you going to say, John? <laughs> I was just going to say, it gives us a chance to catch up on a bit of backlog of stories that we haven't quite had time to get stuck into. But anyway, my name's John A. Tate. James Tate's on the panel, and yes, we'll hello. be talking a lot. And M. Collard, star of the show, <laughs> is uh, ready to give us an acknowledgement. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> Before we get started on today's uh, show, the sporting record would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional custodians of the land from which we broadcast this program and, and on which much of our local sport is played. We pay our respects to elders past and present and acknowledge that this land has never been ceded. We would also like to acknowledge and celebrate the incre- incredible contribution of First Nations athletes to this country's sporting life. Well said, Em. Well said. Thanks, Jimmy. So, how'd you find the cricket over in Perth? The cricket over in Perth? Oh, well, I feel like we were about to uh, have a bit of a match on our hands. It was going well for three days. And then all the pitch fell apart and so did the match. Yeah. Yeah. So, the Australian men's cricket team just played a, a test against Pakistan over in Perth last week. And... Look, it was looking pretty tight to begin with, but like I said, it just, we really, our bowlers just got ripped into them. We've got out one of the, I think probably the best bowling attack in the world in yeah. test cricket currently. So yeah, pretty, it's just pretty dominant. It's very dominant, dominant, and it's, it's hard to compete with, especially when we're at home. So now Nathan Lyon, uh, passed a milestone of his, uh, 500th wickets in test cricket, which is pretty good. Um, over summer, I thought we'd, We'll try to make our shows a bit of fun. Oh, not not like usual. <laughs> and I've got three things about Nathan Lyon that you may not know. Mm, okay. Would you like to hear them? I'd love yes, to. Go on. I'd love to hear them. In 2017, in a Sheffield Shield match, Lyon stopped play for half an hour uh, by when, and he wasn't even on the ground. He was in the chain. He was in the rooms, and he burnt a piece of toast, toast, which set off the smoke alarms, and it brought the fire services onto the ground for half an hour. Oh no! Wait, this isn't true. This is just true. This isn't true or false. This is just what happened. No, That's not right? true or false. This it's is just, just a. This is a fun fact. Three weird things about Nathan Lyon. <laughs> That's so unful. How embarrassing! Number two, <laughs> uh, he took a wicket with his first ball in Test cricket. That's pretty good. Yeah, he got Kumar Sangakkara out in 2011 in Sri Lanka. Which is a big wicket. That's... Yeah. What a way to start. First ball, bang. And also in 2011 against South Africa, as a number 11 batsman, which he was in the early days, mm. he top scored in Australia's second innings. He made 14 runs... <laughs> Out of the team's total of 47. I remember that. I remember being at college. I was with my friend Ali and we were like, oh, this is rough. (laughs) You don't like to see this. Not many number 11 batsmen top score. No. And um, one other innings that is much more impressive was um, Ashton Agar. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. He came in number 11 
<laughs> young spinner. I think he got out for like 99. 99. 99. Yeah, he was so close. I still think that's pretty, like, to have your first innings and, you, you know, you're only, only batting in innings and you're like, yep, I scored my one century, I'm done, can retire. He was a bit of a smoky though. He's a better batsman than a number 11. But yeah. I suppose... That was probably his first test. It was his first test. It so was they first just stuck innings. Him in. Yep. in you go, son. You're number eleven. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Well, it's like you know, Steve Smith started out as a, a wrist spin bowler, yeah, and yeah. now now look at him go. Now he's the best since Bradman. Oh yeah. Um, while we're on cricket, I just thought we would um, have a, a little look into the women's team because they're starting their first. Um, or their next series against India in India, and the first test match in India for 40 years. I wasn't aware of that. Is it on telly? It's not on telly. It's on, well, it's on KO and oh, Foxtel. Okay. So okay, the whole the whole series, so there's a test, there's three ODIs and three T20s. And oh, similar to the Ashes. That's the way they do it, yes. Yeah, Good. there's a, a point system. So the first test, which is um, four days long, as women's tests are at the moment, um, that's four points for a win. Two points for a win in the ODI and the T20s. So it'll just be whoever's best overall gets the the cup, the win. Um, so this it'll be interesting time. So the, the test starts tonight. It's the first test match in 40 years. I've got a good little bit of uh, going back in time, per se, to what happened 40 years ago in 1984, can you believe? Um, there's a great article in the ABC, and they interviewed the Australian captain from that tour. Wow! Um, so I'll I'll take you that take you to that in a second, but just thought um, some players and notable things about this tour will be it'll be f- Alyssa Healy's first series as the new captain after Meg Lanning uh, yes. retired which is pretty huge. Meg Lanning, I really think, was at the helm of the absolute glory days of Australian women's cricket and was the leader in a team of people like Elise Perry and Alyssa Healy and Beth Mooney at their absolute peaks in their career. I've got some stats on Meg Lanning. Yeah, give it to us. Uh, Lanning, who's 31, played 241 matches for Australia at the international (laughs) level and was a three-time Belinda Clark medalist. And she captained Australia 182 times, winning the 2022 ICC Cricket World Cup and four ICC Women's T20 World Cups in 2014, 2018, 2020 and 2023. And Lanning won seven World Cups in total as a player. And she also led Australia to victory at last year's Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. Under her captaincy, Australia enjoyed an 80% win rate and set an ODI world record for consecutive wins, which was 26, between 2018 and 2021. And across the three formats, she scored 17 centuries and amassed 8,352 runs. Now, she could have kept going. She's only 31, but she sounded pretty burnt out and tired to me. She's She's been doing it for at the highest level for a really long time and captaining at that level for a really long time. And I think... I can totally understand, especially, I mean, Usman Khawaja, who is the opener for the men's team, he just turned 37 the other day. So, you know, we've still, and there are a number of people in the men's team who are quite a bit older than Meg, but I think when, you know, maybe it's her personal preference, but it's also things like, until recently, I think there's been a huge amount more support and like ability for men's players to have longer term success with the type of resources and like, you know, access to nutritionists or doctors or all of that kind of thing. So I can imagine you get to a point where you've done the hard yards, you've been at the top for a long time and probably got to the top before a lot of women's sport. Like I know cricket's probably been pretty good at getting ahead of the curve, but I think, you know, I can understand why she's needs a rest. She's done what she can. She's completely she's completed the game. Oh yeah. Absolutely completed cricket. Yeah, has done such a tremendous job. Yeah. And is replaced by Alyssa Healy now who's going to captain Australia's women's cricket teams across all three formats. Um <laughs> after Healy filled in for Lanning as Australian captain for extended spells over the last 2 years, including this year's Women's Ashes. 
So good luck to Alyssa Healy as Australia play India today, I believe. They do indeed. So later today they'll be taking to the pitch in Mumbai, the ground in Mumbai. Um, so all the games are being played in Mumbai, the ODIs, the Tests, the T20s, which would be great to see. Other players to watch, obviously, we have Alyssa as new, the new captain, also the wicketkeeper, so you'll hear her lots chirping behind the stumps. Um, Beth Mooney, obviously, is like you know hugely prolific, one of our best batters. World class. World class, absolutely beautiful to watch. Um, we've got someone who... I don't know if she's been selected for the test, but she for the squad at least she was test only. Lauren Cheadle, um, she's younger. She's an absolute ripper left left armor, quick and swings it like nothing else. And I can tell you from personal experience, she really does swing it like nothing else. We played on a team together when I was in year twelve in school. Wow! And um, I remember at the trials for this particular team, it was in New South Wales. I had to, you know, you just have a net session and you bat and bowl and then the team gets selected. And I remember going into the nets and facing Laura and I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be any good here. She was unplayable at the time. It with the swing that she got as a left-hander facing, it was incredible. Facing a swinging ball is freaky, isn't it? Because oh. you think, how, how does it, why isn't it going straight? It's it's really hard. I always struggled with an outswinger. So, like, the ball's coming towards you and then, you know, seemingly at the last moment, it swings away from you. And it's just so hard. You think, like, I remember in one game, like, I went out to play a cut shot. So, I got my back foot out, got my bat up ready to, like, like slap the ball, essentially. <laughs> and it would just go past my bat every time. It was so frustrating. It's, it's in, it is incredible how much bowlers can swing the ball. But Lauren Cheadle, um, she, I think, was the one of the youngest players to play for New South Wales, but has had quite significant in- injuries for the last few years. So I think she would be more prolific if not for that. Yeah, so it'll yeah. be great to see Hope if she, she gets on the pitch. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's nice to – I feel like I'm really having one of those moments of, you know, those people like, oh, if I didn't do my hammy when I was 17, I would have been in the draft for the <laughs> AFL. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it'll be great to see her. And then also Annabelle Sutherland, who's been kind of tipped as the next best all-rounder after Elise mm. Perry to take the reins. She had a maiden wow. ton against England in the Ashes series this year. She's a ripper bowler. So it'll, those those are some good names to watch out for. Now, what's this bit of nostalgia you've been teasing? Yes, I had a bit of a tease, bit of a tease. I'd like to take you back 40 years ago to 19, or almost 40 years ago, 1984, Um and this article, I think, has a great title. It's called Food Poisoning, Marriage Proposals Proposals, and Water Buffalo Urine. The 1984 Australian Women's Cricket Tour of India was a wild ride. Um, so the ABC has interviewed um, Jill Kinnear, who was the Australian women's captain at the time, and about her experience yeah. of going over there. Um, she said... Eyebrows were raised when the pitch for the third test in um, Ahmedabad had a wet patch, which locals identified as water buffalo urine. Oh, dear. The delayed game, uh, that delayed the game, and we had to wait a little bit longer when there was also a solid piece of feces that had to be removed. Oh, goodness. She said, I was pleased I lost the toss at that time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So she grew up in a little coastal Adelaide suburb in Brighton and she had never really considered cricket to be a sport that, you know, mm. she could play, uh, women could play, let alone the fact that they could be picked for the national team and go touring. Um, so in 1984, she was chosen to captain Australia um, when other senior players were not available to travel to India. Um, she said that regardless of that, um that didn't make her a household name in Australia, which obviously a lot of... If you're the captain of the Australian cricket team, they say that that's the most important job apart from the Prime Minister, you know, yeah. allegedly. So she said she felt she was virtually anonymous, but when she arrived in India, it was a completely different story. Um, they were recognised. People would come up to the, come up to her and say, Capitan, Capitan. They knew that she was the captain of yeah. the Australian women's team. Wherever we went, we were treated as celebrities. Um, 
they had the support staff of a manager and a physiotherapist. She was they didn't even have a coach. So she was in charge of selection. She was like essentially coaching as well. There were a lot of first time players mm. in the team. Um, there was uh, a couple of people who uh, got copped a fair bit of gastro, unfortunately. Yes, yes. Um, three of the players, including herself, couldn't even make it to the first warm up match, which is unfortunate. They. Um, Lefty had to step in as wicketkeeper for Christina, but then she also started to get sick during the match. She was tough. She'd go out and vomit at square leg and then go back behind the stumps. (laughs) When we were batting, Annette Fellows ran three runs and then kept running off the ground to the toilet. (laughs) We were running out of players and that meant the manager and the physio also had to fill in. Wow. When the one-day series started, the Australian players thought that there was a case of mistake uh, mistaken identity as the locals um, lavished attention on a player that, that didn't exist. They were all talking about a, someone called Lucy. They were like, um, I love you, Lucy. Will you marry me? And they were like, what is going on? There's no Lucy on the team. But it turns out that the TV show I Love Lucy, mm. which is an American TV show, um, was very popular there. So they were all calling all the white women Lucy. They just <laughs> called all of them Lucy. Wow. Yeah. Um, the outfielders also, so people who were fielding on the boundary line, um, copped it with all of these proposals as well. Lucy had red hair. Did yeah. they all have red hair <laughs> yeah. on the team? I don't know. Clearly they were, they like were all Lucy. TV. Yeah. Um, in terms of the actual cricket, um, Australia won all of the one-day games that they played, but it was the tests, uh, victories in the tests that were a bit harder to come by. They played three... Um, and there were three days as well instead of five days. So we've had some improvement. They're now right. up to four days. But at the time, there were three-day tests. She said that she seemed to lose a toss every time and that meant India would go into bat and it meant that they, they were quite conservative in their approach, which meant winning a three-day test quite difficult, whereas they were they were there to have a result. Mm. And they were happy with a draw, but Australia wanted a result and ideally a win. So that made it difficult. Um, the first three tests, tests were draws and the fourth and final in Mumbai um, was a four-day game. That four-day and the extra day brought in was brought in to get a result, but it still didn't work because the Indus, Indians batted first, first and they got even slower. Um, so that was like some of the... Yeah, there's a really good picture here of Elise Perry with Ken Air. Um, which is really lovely to see a lot of those older players like interacting and still around the game at the moment. And they're getting some respect these days, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Kinnair also hopes the newly appointed captain, Alyssa Healy, will oversee an entertaining brand of cricket when Australia plays the Tests in India for the first time in almost 40 years. She says, play aggressively. I've watched the Tests over there the last few years and I think we've been a bit conservative. So there you go. Top tip. Wow. Top tip from her. What do you reckon? Would you want to play on a, a pitch that just had a bit of water buffalo urine on it? <laughs> well, you know. Uh, Slipping and sliding around on you that? You know where to land the ball, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. That's right. Hey, Jim, I've got a little uh, bit of basketball news for you. Yes, go Before ahead. we head into a break. And this might even influence what we play during the break, if you uh, may be one step ahead of me. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Broke a record just recently. Yes, he did. Uh, It was a rebounding record, I believe. Oh, um, yeah, the rebounding record. Do you know who held the record? I'm going to guess it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It's Kareem Mm Abdul-Jabbar. I was just looking for an excuse to mention Kareem because I put something on the computer that might be... Oh, what a fun to play! What a great tie-in. <laughs> so clever, John. <laughs> so we'll jump to our Kareem Abdul-Jabbar segment, and then we'll jump to a few announcements, and then on the way back we'll have more sporty things for you. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute! I know you. You're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You play basketball for the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm sorry, son, but you must have me confused with someone else. My name is Roger Murdoch. I'm the co-pilot. You are Kareem. I've seen you play. My dad's got season tickets. I think you should go back to your seat now, Joey. Right, Clarence? 
Oh, he's not bothering anyone. Let him stay here. All right, but just remember, my name is Roger Murdoch. I'm an airline pilot. I think you're the greatest, but my dad says you don't work hard enough on defense. And he says that lots of times you don't even run down court. And that you don't really try, except during the playoffs. The hell I don't. Listen, kid. I've been hearing that crap ever since I was at UCLA. I'm out there busting my buns every night. Tell your old man to drag Walton in the near up and down the court for 48 minutes. Knocking the top off. A people's history of alcohol in Australia is a heavily illustrated 67-chapter book co-edited by Alex Etling and Ian McIntyre, delivering an incisive alternative history of Australia from the bottom up it includes stories ranging from the convict era resistance through to actions by workers, people with disability and anti-fascists today. Alcohol and pubs many and varied roles in social change, music, art and more are explored by more than 20 writers. These include Jeff Sparrow, Wendy Bacon, Gary Foley, Diane Kirkby, David Nichols, Tanya Luckins and Graham Willett. Copies can be purchased directly from 3CR at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, during office hours. To find out more details or buy the book online, visit interventions.org.au. A 3CR supporter. have a few children's picture books or footy boots that your kids have outgrown but want to find them a loving home we'll drop them in at 3CR and put them in the books and boots bin books and boots regularly sends pre-loved children's picture books and sports footwear to remote and regional first nations communities and children across the country contact us at books and boots or go to the website www.booksandboots.org.au we love a good book VCR is about community and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. We love it here at 3CR. The people are all very friendly and nice, and it's it's great volunteering and doing it's, stuff. It's the it's the best. It's so nice. Every time I come here, I'm like, ah, oh, I can relax, I can <laughs> chill out. I'm home. It does feel good to be here, doesn't it? We're very lucky here at 3CR. Mm. Everyone takes care of us very much, and we're. Uh, Doing our best to keep up the good news. Isn't that right? Yeah. That's right. That's right. You, uh, I feel like you've got a bit of a, a left of field good news story, John. Go yeah, on. I suppose it's good news. It's, uh, it's from UFC. Ultimate, what is it? Ultimate Fighting Championship. Okay. So I just was taken by a, a photo I saw in the newspaper. And uh, it's two guys wrestling in a ring. And uh, sitting in the front row is Donald Trump looking very unhappy. <laughs> now, the reason why he was unhappy, uh, Donald Trump being unhappy makes me happy. I think that's good news. Yeah. yeah. So um, he was there to support the challenger, an American welterweight called Colby Covington, who was very confident of winning against the uh, holder of the belt, Englishman Leon Edwards. Anyway, so Covington was so confident he invited Donald Trump along to present him with the belt, and I, I suppose they strap it on him when when he, when he won. Inevitably wins the title. That's yeah, right. Righto. Anyway, uh, the fact is he didn't win. In fact, he got thrashed. It was a unanimous uh, decision by the judges, and uh, Donald didn't get to uh, present the belt. Oh, no. Poor old Donald. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
while we're still on a good bit of good news, I've got some regarding the Matildas, which, yeah. to be honest, I don't think at this point I could give you, well, I touch wood, bad news about the Matildas. I mean, it's, uh, that said, it's sad news for me because, uh, personally, the final qualifier for the Paris 2024 Olympics has been announced, and it's very appropriate that you're wearing an Uzbekistan shirt today, John, because they're playing Uzbekistan at Marvel Stadium in February of next year. It's their last game before the Olympics, and tickets went on sale, pre-sale was on Monday, and then general sales yesterday. But it's a, it's a double-header tie, isn't it? You play them home, then you play them away. Yeah, so it's the last one in Australia, mm. um, and it's sold out, completely sold out, and it's at Marvel, which is wonderful. But it also is sad because I tried to get tickets and I couldn't. It's just I feel like this year for me is the year of sitting in Ticketmaster waiting rooms and inevitably not getting tickets. <laughs> Anyone who tried to – I'm outing myself here – tried to get Taylor Swift tickets and was unsuccessful, I feel you. And Is that well, a it's virtual a, waiting room, is it? It's a virtual rain, waiting room. I did it like – too many times for Taylor. I did it for the Matildas. Look, I'm really, I'm all here for women's sport. Absolutely, you know, being recognised as it should. But I guess the t- payoff is, it means I can't always get a ticket anymore, and then not always cheap. So last time we played Uzbekistan, uh, I was reminded of this by our guide in Uzbekistan, whose name was Horshit, and Horshit said. <laughs> that he was very disappointed that when Uzbekistan played Australia because they lost 8-0. Oh. Oh, no. So I'm sure Horseshit will be really keen to see how they go this I'm time. Sure, I'm, sh- I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. So that marks the Matildas' 12th game in a row that's been sold out? 12th consecutive home game. Yep. 12th consecutive home game. Yes, which included games at Perth Stadium. So that's, you know, the biggest place they could possibly play in Western Australia. They sold that out. They sold out Marvel. And Marvel's more than 50,000 tickets. Yeah, I think it's 55, I think. Something like that. Something like that. And they sold, you know, the pre-sale got allocation exhausted pretty quickly. And then it was pretty, it was less than less than a day for the general, on general sale to be sold out. So you love to see it. And I was... um at Barclay Square the other day doing a bit of Christmas shopping and I saw a little family and this little boy had a Sam Kerr shirt um, on. And I just, I feel like that's really nice to see. Yeah. Like it's so cool to see that just being normal. Like that kid will grow up and it's just normal to have women's sports Mm. be all over the news. Mm. And I feel like that culturally when they're older – when they're our age, when they're like old old people themselves, like the fact that that's so normalised to them, it like gives I don't know, it gives me a lot of hope that for them it's just so ingrained as part of their growing up, and that it is just what it is. Like it'll be awesome to see what that looks like and what change that will bring from people just being like, yeah, yeah. well, of course, I love this female athlete because she's awesome, and it doesn't even cross their minds that that would be in any way controversial, you know. And that is. Someone idolizing someone who's a queer woman of color. Yeah. Which is almost unheard of in a sporting context. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I, um, I wasn't going to bring this up till a bit later on the show, you know, but I wanted to um, circle back, as people say, <laughs> um, to Usman Khawaja. We, we touched on this last week briefly about how Usman Khawaja wanted to – written on his shoes uh, for the Perth test, as Australia versus Pakistan. He's the opener for Australia. He wanted to write, freedom is a human right and all lives are equal on his shoes. And the ICC, the International Cricket Council, banned it. Like said, nope, you absolutely cannot do that. Um, and so he posted – a video on Instagram just explaining why it's important for him. And we mentioned, as we mentioned last week, he had a really good pre-match interview with the broadcasters about why he did that and why it's really important. Um, and like I said last week, he didn't even mention Israel or Palestine. And like people absolutely are just like up in arms and outraged by this. And 
I just, and he said in this interview, he was like, I'm concerned that people think that me saying all lives are equal and freedom is a human right is so controversial. I think that is concerning personally as well. Yes. Um, and there was also a banner. Someone took a big banner to the Perth test with those two um, sentences on it. And they were, those people were kicked out of the game. <laughs> really? Yeah. They, they, um, Cricket Australia or the Perth Stadium yeah. said something like, oh, it was for antisocial behaviour. But that that was their reasoning, yeah, but they yeah. were kicked out. They're saving face. Yeah. Um, so that was an interesting and disappointing update. A positive update with it is that the Australian Cricketers Association um, have come out and said that they would support Kawaja in his bid to gain ICC approval to wear the shoes in future matches. Um but also he might be in trouble because he actually wore a, a black armband mm. during the test and that could he could be sanctioned for that as well because everything has to have pre-approval. Wow. Um, which is really interesting. And I also wanted to share, I took two screenshots of um, some news articles, headlines today about Usman Khawaja and wanting to wear these shoes. And he didn't. He covered them up. He followed the rules mm. as as instructed. And... Articles about Manus Labashain's, um, he has this little sticker yeah. that he puts on his bat. It's a religious sticker. I don't know if that did get ICC approval or not, but it is, you know, an extra thing mm -hmm. that's important to him that he puts on his bat in, say, in the same way that Usman Khawaja was going to do. Um, and it, they talked about it a lot in the documentary, The Test. Um, they made a feature of it and they were like, isn't this really wonderful and blah, blah, blah. And so... The two screenshots I took are of the headlines of both of these things. So for Manus Labashain and his uh, religious sticker, um, he's a Christian, so like the, for extra context, the headlines were something to crow about, Doco sheds light on lucky Manus. The Daily Telegraph said, Manus spills on stars, hilarious, oh sorry, not that one, I'll get it tattooed on my head, secret sticker that made Manus the luckiest cricketer in the world from Fox Sports. Um, the Australian God, Glory, and the Bat Out of Hell, Yahoo Sport, Manish Labasain's secret comes to light as teammates are marvel over luck. So that's the kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. uh, for Usman Khawaja, I just put in Usman Khawaja shoes into Google, and yeah. these headlines, Sky News, Usman Khawaja could face punishment for unapproved black armband, Daily Mail, why Usman Khawaja could face punishment for his Palestine protest, um... The Guardian, Usman Khawaja vows to fight ICC mandate after shoe slogan ban. Um, Usman, a Sydney Morning Herald, I'm not taking sides. Human life to me is equal. Khawaja will push to wear Palestine solidarity shoes on Boxing Day. So I think it's interesting, like even Usman saying I'm not taking sides, which to be honest, I think if we were a, a, a politician were to say that, we'd be like, excuse you, no, you. this is pretty clear but the fact that people are so overwhelmingly negative about this but are so celebratory of Manus I just find just thought I'd put that out there and see what you thought of it as well whether that's like why you think that happens what's occurring and is that an issue for you in the way that you want to consume cricket well I'm just pleased that Manus uh, not Manus um, um, Usman uh, has the confidence now as he's matured and become a, a, a comfortable in his own skin, that he's got the confidence to to speak out. Mm. And even having a go at the blokes uh, at Lords who are, who are yeah. going out, cheat, cheat, cheat. He was the one who stood up and said, you know, kick those guys out. Yeah. So I'm just pleased for him, to be honest. Yeah. What do you reckon, Jimmy? I reckon it's pretty sad that there's such an uproar about such a simple message. Um, when it comes to cricket... You know, everything's political. Um, you know, saying all lives equal is a political statement, but really, it's such a simple thing. It's standing in solidarity with people all over, not picking sides. Um, it's quite sad that it's come to this, you know. And look, let's just be clear. It's on his shoes. Mm. It's not on his forehead. You know, it's such a little... little little measly little slogan and it's being blown out of this proportion yeah, it's not even saying like 
free Palestine. Like it's that's you know it's not it's not some hard like even though I fully would love for him to wear that. It's not even like I I actually think if you were to say all lives are equal in the middle of 2020, like that was a pretty that's what people would say in a response to Black Lives Matter. And I understand in this context it means something different. But that's – I just mean like it's not a particularly hardline approach. It's just saying all people are equal and deserve freedom. And it's concerning that people are so outraged by it. Yes, it is. It's just – I don't get it personally. But Well, anything to get an uproar over, that's what they do, you know. Mm. That's the media cycle. I was also having a think – and maybe this is, you know, a lot for a 4 p.m. on a Thursday, but here we are. Um, recent, I think a, a very common thread throughout our last year of broadcasting has been a lot of athletes starting to stand up. Like we saw Net- Netball Australia and Hancock prospecting, saying, uh, boycotting that. Um, Pat Cummins boycotting, wearing like doing ads for, you know, gas companies, um, and like standing up for making climate change awareness. Um, Black Lives Matter, the NBA players who protested a lot during the 2020-2021 season. Um, just I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, sport isn't political. Like keep politics out of sport. But, you know, like everyone, the t- these teams, I think as women particularly in – gender diverse people are more prolific in sport like these issues it's less and less so that white men are the sports stars of the world yeah and so more and more we see these issues of politics coming into sport because suddenly you do have people who are historically marginalized being at this level of sport and being like hey you can't say this and i think just thinks it, it's this interesting kind of correlation or not even correlation just like or an in- interesting moment where i think Sport is inherently more political, but I don't know. What do you reckon, Jimmy? Well, people are standing up more. I think that's clear. I think that um, people are finding their voice more. There's a platform for it now. There's a there's a tolerance for it now. People still get an uproar, like Usman, for example. Like he wants to say something, and there's an uproar about it. But I think there is a tolerance for it now. There's a tolerance that hasn't been there before, you know. Oh, you just sports stars, stay out of it. And there's a reckoning now that we have a voice, we want to use it, and that's starting to gain a bit of momentum. Do you like seeing it? I do. Mm. I do. Do you like seeing it? I would encourage sports people, if they feel strongly about something, to use the platform and get it out there. If if uh, if somebody's uncomfortable doing that, fine. Just you know, live your life. But I'd encourage it. I like it. Mm. Yeah. If you've tuned in uh, at four o'clock expecting to hear the centrefield theme and uh, the sporting record, well, it is us. But we started half an hour earlier, as we will over the next three weeks. Yes, we will. Just thought I'd fill you in on that. Uh, and. Um, well, should we go to a break? Yes, let's go to a After break. After the break, I've got some trivia hey. and maybe a book report. Oh, all right. Tickets are now on sale for the 2024 Marxism Conference happening over the Easter weekend. The Marxism Conference is one of the biggest gatherings of revolutionaries, radicals and activists from around Australia and across the world. Three days of discussions, interviews and debates on key questions and themes for socialists, covering radical working class history, Marxist fundamentals, left debates and global struggles happening today. With our world entering a new era of accelerated climate crisis, economic chaos and rising imperialist tensions, it's now more important than ever for socialists and anti-capitalists to get together to discuss and debate ideas for a world in crisis. Lock in your spot to Australia's biggest socialist conference and grab your tickets now at marxismconference.org. A 3CR supporter. Let's make history. Motorcade for Palestine. We will be back bigger and louder at 12pm on the 23rd of December. Meet opposite Faulkner Cemetery. Our calls will echo through the streets to show that Burn City 
stands and drives for Free Palestine. Join the Sit Intifada, Free Palestine Melbourne, Black People's Union, Renegade Solidarity Audio Force at 12 p.m. on the 23rd of December. Follow Renegade Solidarity Audio Force on Instagram for more information. Motorcade for Palestine, a 3CR supporter. You can try to avoid us, but it's pointless. You can never avoid the voices of the voiceless. Did you know that Ripponlea Estate is recognised as a leading biodiversity hotspot within the city of Glenara? It is a haven for birds and other wildlife. Ripponlea Estate is now running bird spotting tours, providing an opportunity for the community to explore the beautiful 14 acres of gardens with a volunteer guide searching out the diverse family of birds that call Ripponlea home. Please visit ripponleaestate.com.au to view tour times and to book your tour. The National Trust of Australia is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to the Sporting Record. We haven't done any sporting trivia for a while, and I'm pretty keen to do it over summer. Are you up for it, guys? Yep. I reckon. Let's do it. So it's a Who Am I? Uh, I think it's a difficult one. I'll give you a point if you get the name of the person. I'll give you half a point if you get the name of the sport involved. Okay, right, I'm gunning for half a point here. <laughs> Who am I? I was born in 1982 in Melbourne. I play my sport left-handed. Wow. I have been number one rank in my sport, although I am currently ranked number seven. My nickname is the Thunder from Down Under. Hardly an original nickname, but still. But it's a little ironic because my sport is played in virtual silence. Is this a squash player? Nope. Squash is very noisy. Whack, whack, whack up against the wall. The major, the... Uh, oh, can I have a punt for the yeah, sport yeah, yeah, again? Yeah, 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 yeah. Is it chess? No, but on the right track. Um, the, the, oh, the major countries in my sport are the UK and China. Ah, is it the darts player? No, but you are on the right track. So I didn't spend much time, I don't spend much time at home. I have, a, I have scored 907 centuries in my career. Shit. So it's not <laughs> cricket. <laughs> uh, the scoring in my sport is finite. I have scored the maximum possible score, which is 147, Five times in my career. This is tricky. I apologise to anyone at home who's screaming at the radio. <laughs> last clue. Last <laughs> clue. I perform my sport wearing a bow tie. Oh, is it billiards? Yes. Uh, I, not, I don't well, know. Well, snooker, in fact. But snooker. No, it's snooker. a board uh, table game. I don't know. And his name... I don't know. I won't know the name. His name is uh, Robinson. What's his first name? Uh, Neil, Neil Robinson. Ah. There's a photo of him. He's actually home in Melbourne at the moment, uh, having a break. But they set up a game against this young up-and-comer whiz kid. Uh, what's his name, Em? You've got it in front of you there. Um, his name is Austin Twang. And he's 11 years old or something. He is. He's, he's in year five. <laughs> so they set up a game between them just for exhibition and fun, and he was happy to do it. Wow. wow, cool. He's been ranked number one. That's I find, you know, snooker's fun at the pub, but watching people play it, I'm like, oh, that's it's a humbling experience. Oh, yeah. I've seen him play, not live, but on telly, and mm. he's fantastic. Neil Robinson, his name is, Australian from Melbourne. The Thunder from Melbourne. One of the best in the world. Wow. Wow. Great trivia. Thanks, John. So summer's a good time for reading, mm-hmm. and I've been holding on to this book report for a while. It's the um, it's the book's called Don't Look Away, and it's by Danielle Laidley, and um, it's uh, it's a memoir, and I loved it. I'm who, not a big reader. Can you tell us more about Danielle Laidley? Who who that is? Yes. So Danielle. Now I apologise in advance if I get pronouns wrong or if mm-hmm. I if I get a bit awkward. You, you two will pick me up if I say the wrong thing. <laughs> Because um, it's tricky, because Danielle Laidley had a great football career uh, in the AFL 
and at that time was known as Dean Laidley. Mm-hmm. Is that right yep. to say that? Yep. Um, long career playing for West Coast and after that North Melbourne, and then a really good career as coach of North Melbourne. Oh. Um, and I like the book. See, I... I flew through it. I found it a page turner. I couldn't stop reading it. Very short chapters, but flying from one chapter to another. But um, it's two books in one. I really enjoyed the footy stuff for a start. Yeah. All right, just on that level. It was great because the stuff she went through Mm -hmm. and experienced during the footy career Mm. side of her life um, was great. Um, She was in the inaugural West Coast Eagles side. Um. Uh, she was around for the uh, proposed merger and relocation of North Melbourne. Yep. Uh, she was there for the whole Wayne Carey affair. Yeah, uh, All this is in the book. Yeah. And uh, she was there as coach when Jason McCartney was caught up in the Bali bombing, came back, rehab, played a game, kicked a goal and retired. Mm-hmm. So uh, Danielle was the coach who presided over that and encouraged that result, which was great. Um, won a premiership with West Coast Eagles, many finals, uh, under coaches, Malthouse, Pagan, etc. Uh, lots of ups and downs in the team and great insights into famous players. So the whole footy part of the story is great. Yeah, that, so like you it. said, that's a book, book in itself. from the beginning to the end, from the very first chapter, we hear the story of... Her uh, gender dysmorphia, is that the right? Dysphoria. Dysphoria. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was aware of it from the very beginning, Mm. earliest childhood memories. Wow. Mm. Was aware of this uncomfortableness. And uh, so there's stories all the way through of examples where it sort of came up from the age of seven through to the age of 50, Mm. right? and the burden of the secret, being such a high-profile person, who everyone recognised, yeah. um, carrying that secret, which got bigger and bigger and bigger as she got older, um, complicated by the profile, um, turns out people knew or had a, a sense that there was something going on, and it goes into all that, and then there was a very public outing um, which uh, was in all the newspapers and was as was awful the way that it all came that, out. That was um, like not out. That was not with her consent, was it? That no, was someone else no. did that, didn't they? But she was out of control, and she's honest about this, uh, especially with drug taking and the whole thing. Mm. Post footy career, mm. um, and one night went on a big binge. I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, but virtually um, was driving around under the influence of drugs and thought, this is crazy, and stopped the car, and actually rang the police. She dobbed herself in. Right. Said, you need to come and get me before I do something terrible. Yeah. And But that's how it came. And then... Um, oh, so the police... That's right. Actually, I think I, this rings a bell. The police outed her, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, so she was in the lockup, uh, but she was uh, dressed in, in female clothing. Yeah. And uh, through the two-way mirror, the one-way mirror... I were taking photos of her mm. and sending them out on social media. Mm. Anyway, wow. uh, so that's all I want to say. I don't want to give too much away. But as a book, as a well-written book, it's great. I'd recommend it to anybody. What was? So, what did you like? Yeah, what was so captivating about how it was written? Like, what was? Oh, it's easy to read. Mm-hmm. I'm not a heavy-duty reader. Yep. But and if I'm having trouble reading something, I stop. I give up. But I, I read the whole thing and I flew through it. And I couldn't wait to get back to it, you know, the next day. Yeah. So that's what I loved about it. So uh, well written, uh, with the help of a uh, a ghostwriter, but that's all right. And um, that that's all that matters. Yeah. So what book is that, John? Let's say it again. Don't look away. What do you think of the title? I kind of like that because I think I w- well, this is just going to be my take on that, having not read the book, but maybe just as a fellow trans person, I think sometimes. Uh, th- other people feel more uncomfortable about your transness than you do sometimes and making people sit in that, um, I don't know, awkwardness, the 
just discomfort, I think, is good because it forces people to take it in and just be like, you've, you've, you've got to deal with your own discomfort. That's, that's a you problem. That's not a me problem. I don't know. That's let, how I'm interpreting it. Let me read it. the last paragraph. Go on. I won't demand anything, but I'll ask that people stop and listen and give me an ear for a moment. Cis people have no idea how easy it is for trans women to tell the difference between someone who sees them as a woman and someone who sees them as a man. They have to remember to refer to as a woman. (laughs) Mm. I always know when a cis person is juggling that inner confusion, but making a conscious effort to say the right thing. I hate that it's a struggle for them to see me as a woman, but I appreciate that they are trying. All I ask is that they don't look away, that they remain open to the possibility that one day they might see me as I see myself, as I am, as I was, and always will be. I am Danielle May Laidley. That's pretty powerful stuff. It is powerful, that's powerful. yeah. That's so good. I th- this is that's a really um, that's a that's a really beautiful way to end a book. And I also think it's a very powerful way to show, like sometimes it's really nice to have queer stories in isolation as they are, but it's also great to see how it you know transness and queerness is like and and also about a person. It's they are trans and also they're a great football player and also they're a parent and also they mm. like going mm. for hikes. You know, mm. it's nice to see how that can integrate into someone's life like that. And then she's given examples of what it's like to feel like this always. Oh, the family stuff. Yeah. I think it'd be started. So uh, HarperCollins is the publisher, and uh, it's worth getting a copy. Great. Thanks for that, John. What a great book report. Thank you. Well done. Summer's a good time for reading. Maybe we can have some more book reports. Yes, I am reading. (laughs) I'm almost done. I'm getting there with Chloe Dalton's book. (laughs) I will, I will, I'll, you know what, I'll challenge myself to have finished, to have my book report ready for the next time I'm on uh, January 11th. So next week we're back at uh, 3.30. I'm not winding up yet, I'm just uh, following on from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, James and I will be here, you'll be up in Newcastle. I will, I will. I mean, if you want me over the phone, I can dial in from, you know, the beach. Oh, if we're struggling to fill our hour, who knows? I can do a live report from... From NRL Heartland. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how about we go to one more break? Yep. And then on the way back, we'll finish things off. Yep. Public transport's great. What's not great is that unless you've got a radio with you, you can't listen to 3CR when you're on it. Until now, the Community Radio Plus app lets you listen to us wherever you are. Get on board and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps. If you're feeling the heat this summer, you're not alone. Our wildlife becomes stressed and unwell more quickly in hot weather. Please keep an eye out for native animals this summer, especially during a heat wave. If you have a backyard, balcony or courtyard, provide water and shade. Call Wildlife Victoria on 8400-7300 if you see wildlife in distress or for more information. To donate or volunteer, go to wildlifevictoria.org.au. Wildlife Victoria is a 3CR supporter. The 11th annual Setting Sun International Film Festival is calling for entries for its 2024 festival. Enter your short film or feature and help celebrate the occasion. There are loads of great prices, including $1,000 for best film. For your chance to be in the running and see your film screened at the gorgeous Sun Theatre or at Kindred Studios, both in Yarraville, head to settingsun.com.au. Entries close on the 31st of January 2024. Setting Sun is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back. You're listening to The Sporting Record. We've only got six minutes left, which is... It feels like not much time considering the show's an hour now, which is pretty cool. Um, I've got another good news story for you for this week, and it's about the Australian women's rugby union team. Uh, I feel like rugby and rugby union in Australia is quite fraught sometimes, so anytime we can provide you with some good news on that front. Similar type of administrative woes as Netball Australia, I'd say. Um, So some good news is that there has been an announcement of the new coach for the 
for the Wallaroos and their name is Joe Yap and she is a highly regarded English coach and she's going to take over the Wallaroos on a full-time basis. She's now which she also makes her the only female head coach of an Australian senior national team in a major football coat. So we've got Tony Gustafsson as the coach of Matildas. I actually couldn't tell you who is the coach of uh, the rugby league teams um, at the moment, but nevertheless, um, it's a pretty, it's a really cool, it's awesome that we get to report on these firsts because yeah. they keep happening um, and this is one of them. And she is a very, very um, highly, yeah, highly regarded uh, player as and she's now transitioned to, to be a coach. So she used to play for the English rugby uh, women's rugby union team. She has played 70 games for her country, played in three World Cups in 1998, 2002 and 2006. And then she has transitioned into becoming a coach. Um, she has coached the Barbarians on two occasions. So the Barbarians, I think, is just a mishmash of different players from different countries to have take on teams like Australia or other national sides. Um, and so, yeah, this is a really exciting time. She's on a two-year contract, so it'll be interesting to see how this, you know, kind of goes over the next couple of years. The Wallaroos are not the Rugby Sevens team. That's different. Um, they're the 15, so the Wallaroos are the 15 aside. Right. Um, and the Rugby Sevens, I think it's a bit different. Um, and like you said, John, that's your new favourite code. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it. yeah. So um, it's going to be really interesting. We've got the next World Cup in England in 2025. So she'll be the head coach for that, assuming all goes well over the next two years. Um, so the exciting news. Good news week. Reasons to be cheerful. Reasons to be cheerful. Hang on, I've got it. it. (laughs) Here we go. Reasons to be cheerful. One, two, three. Nailed it. Now, summer's a great time for watching sport on television and watching documentaries. And I've been watching one on the ABC called The Gods of Tennis. And it's really good. Uh, It's three parts to it. The first one... Uh, tells side-by-side the story of Billie Jean King and Arthur Ashe, who in their own way were uh, uh, groundbreaking players in their sport. Absolutely. For different reasons. The second one is Bjorn Borg versus John McEnroe, who are total opposites in their personalities on the sporting arena. So that's a good one. And the third one is Martina Navratilova and Chris Evert who similarly were, were quite different personalities on the tennis court. And for a long time, they I can't say they hated each other, but their rivalry was intense. Mm. But later in life, they're good mates. So oh. it's, uh, it's well worth watching, that one. Great. Awesome. Well done. We'll have to give that a watch. Now, we'll finish up the show today with a song. What song is this one, John? Well, you like this thing about uh, stay sporty is that what we say at the end we do that is our catchphrase well i found sure a we'll song trademark it. <laughs> that has the word sporty in it oh nice and wow. the title, i've never been a big fan of uh dave graney and the coral snakes to be honest but a local band local guy uh who's had a long career and many records but here's a song of his called uh feel and kind of sporty oh there we go this is so your best I'm... work john well well done well it fits <laughs> So on that note, thank you for listening to The Sporting Record. We're here every Thursday. You can catch us at 3.30pm with our new hour-long show for the summer. And yeah, until then, stay sporty.
to my shit.